to St. John's Sermons, a podcast from St. John's Lutheran Church, North Prairie, Wisconsin, a congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We offer this podcast with the loving encouragement to use it as a supplement to your own regular reception of the Lord's gifts of forgiveness and life in word and sacrament on the Lord's day. The Lord bless your hearing of these sermons. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The key is pretty simple. Don't turn down the Father's part. Don't miss it. And don't, in the end, be too good for it. You see... All of Jesus' parables have what we call in the the biz a hermeneutical key. The hermeneutical key is translated back into English an interpretative key. And in some cases, you might want to call it the moral of the story. And in this case, it pretty much works. And the interpretative key, the moral of the story, is given to us by the Father in explaining why throw a party for a misfit son who's returned to that brother who is every bit as much a problem as the prodigal. We had to celebrate, the dad says, for this brother of yours was dead, but now he's alive. Simply put, don't be mad if you're apart. In fact, come on, guy, come on in. Have some of the meat from the fattened calf yourself. That's simple, right? Everybody likes the parable of the prodigal son. It's easy. Or is it? The setup in those first three verses, and I really, oh, I got, I always have a little bone to pick with the lectionary people in this particular. Why do they skip verses? Uh, 4 through 10. Uh, It drives me nuts. Because there are two other parables Jesus tells. This is a collection of three parables, all taught in the same context, the same circumstance. And to get that context right, that circumstance right, is everything. This whole situation begins in verse 1 with one crowd coming to Jesus. A bunch of tax collectors and sinners. A bunch of extortionists, immoral, unethical extortionists. My apologies to anyone who might work for the IRS today. It doesn't necessarily mean you are one of those. We're talking first century tax collectors. And probably with them a bunch of prostitutes and hoodlums and revolutionaries and the worst in society. And there is Jesus eating with them, feasting with them, having a party. And there's a second party there who's witnessing everything. They're called the Pharisees and the scribes. And they're judging Jesus. They are condemning Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells parable number one. The parable of the lost sheep. You know, shepherd has a hundred sheep. One goes wandering off. Shepherd goes and finds the one. Leaves the other 99 behind. And then there's this gigantic party in heaven for the one sheep that is returned. 
But Jesus says something kind of interesting about the 99 that I know we do not hear. And because we don't hear it, we get this parable wrong. And if we get this parable wrong, this party that our Father is throwing will miss. So the stakes are high. There's more rejoicing in heaven over the one sheep who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to. That's what Jesus says. And we misinterpret this psalm pretty, pretty badly, or this proverb pretty badly, because we seem to think we're part of the 99 and that's a good thing. Whoops. That this is really an application to just simply those people who don't come to church. Whoops. You didn't come into church and confess your sins and say, God, isn't it great that I'm part of the 99? You didn't say that at all. You said, I've been lost. And Jesus has come out to get you. Right here and right now. And you see, the church's mission is dying from this misinterpretation in the 21st century. The church's mission is that we're the good people and we need to get the bad people. We're the faithful and we need to get the unfaithful. We're not looking at ourselves right now. Which means we're not going to get the lost right either. Parable number one condemns the scribes and the Pharisees for being too righteous for God's pardon. And that's a mistake you don't want to make. Parable number two is a little bit more neutral. It's the parable of the lost coin. This is not a hundred. This is a ten ratio. One lost coin, she throws a party for it, and she's happy that she found it. You kind of know that one. But then comes the parable of the prodigal son, which comes back around to the whole point of the first parable. Because there are three characters in this story, not two. And it is so easy to miss the three characters and really misinterpret all of them. Character number one, the prodigal son, tells his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the inheritance right now so that I don't have to deal with you anymore and I can go off and do my own thing. What does the father do? Character number two. He does it. He lets him go. The father's been throwing the party, I guess you could say, for the son his whole life. He's given him a home. He's raised him. He's provided for him. And the son still walks away. See, when the church gets this wrong, a lot of times the assumption is the church is not doing its mission, so it's got to double down and, and beg people back in the doors. The father does not do that. Jesus doesn't do it with a rich young ruler. Jesus doesn't do it with two wannabe disciples in Matthew 8. We've been studying this in our Sunday Bible study right now. Jesus doesn't do this with a lot of people. The gospel, the good news, is not the good news of the gospel unless God suffers it to be rejected. If you want to walk away, he will let you walk away. If you wanted to not be part of his party because you're right and the other person's wrong... He'll let you walk away. He won't force you to come to his party. He'll invite you, as he invited the brother at the end. But he won't force you. 
Those who have walked away have chosen to. And in most of the stories of the Bible, of the, of the New Testament, you don't see a Jesus that just runs out there and apologizes to them if anything he said might have made them mad. Nothing should have, truthfully. The father loves the other brother. The father looks the other brother in the eye and says, look, this party can be for you too, but the other brother can't get over the fact that this party is being paid for by his half of the inheritance. I'm the good one here. Now you're taking my money. You're killing that fattened calf. You went and made a ring for him. You put the best robe on him, and you threw a party for him on my money? Really? You did that? Notice that's selfish. The self-righteous. I'm right, Dad. I'm the good one. And he's not that good. You and I did not come in this door, as I said before, talking that way. The liturgy doesn't let you talk that way. But lo and behold, we think this way all the time. We make this mistake. We think this parable is talking about someone else because we weren't lost. Never mind that. We'll walk right back out those doors into a, into a life that is saturated with sin. And we inherit it from birth. Does it pay to tell God we're the good person? You should be throwing the party for us because of that? It... If, if that feast is foretasted in this gift, do you stand up here and tell God, isn't it great to be part of the 99? You're giving this gift to me because I, I'm one of yours? That's not what we're saying. That's not why Jesus gave that gift. That's not what the prodigal ended up saying when he returned. I am not worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired staff. Just give me a job. I'll figure it out. And dad says, no, I can do better than that. I am glad to see you return. The father never lost his love for him, even if he let him go do what he was going to go do, which was wander off into a, a, a life full of sin and make a mess of things. One of the components of this story that you don't hear much but it's there. You don't hear it real loudly. Is the component of anger. The prodigal blames dad. What does the other brother do? He blames dad. What did Adam do? In Genesis 3? He blamed dad. And dad's not the problem. Dad loves. Dad forgives. Jesus loves. Jesus forgives. He throws a party for the sinner. For the one who has turned around, who has repented. And it's a wail of a party. And if you think that that party is not for the tax collectors and the sinners, if it's not for the prostitutes, if it's not for the poor, if it's not for all those people who have made a mess of their lives, then you've missed the gospel entirely and you've lost this parable. And you might have lost the party and you might have lost your salvation. Is this part for you?
His is part of you. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy innocent that are sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Now, we say those words most every week in one form or another. And yes, you can say things that are printed on a page and really not mean them. I understand that. But the Father's love was always here for you. The Son's grace was always here for you. He didn't fail you. And the church doesn't fail the sinner either, even when the sinner walks away. That message has been here the whole time. And the Father's been looking for you. He sees you far off and he runs. He drops all of his dignity. He ran. He sprinted to the Son when the Son returned. He didn't sprint to him when he wouldn't. But he did when he saw him come back. And the Son said, a paraphrase of what I just told you and what you read at the beginning of the service. I am not worthy to be called your son. And the father forgave him. The father threw a party for him. The father threw a feast for him. He killed the fattened calf and gave him the best things. And the forgiveness of sins, he... Well, Jesus... <laughs> That's what I love about Luke's parables. There's about a million interpretations of them, and they all might be right. Who's Jesus in the story when he saves the prodigal? Fair enough. He might be. He went off, he was dead, he was alive, dead, he was again, yes. He's also the fattened calf, is he not? <laughs> God the Father put him to death so that he might have a party for you. Wow. Don't say no to this party. You're here today, you haven't, but... So often when we caught that self-righteous attitude and we think that the problem, you know, that pastor should be preaching that to the choir or to the world out there. That we forget that we are the world out there. That we have this sinful nature. That we're no better a lot of times than those people that don't come here. The only difference is that we've come to the party and we just want others to come to the party too. But they must do so through repentance and humility. This fourth week in Lent is called Lytara in Latin, which means Rejoice! Because at the end of the day, that's what a party is. A party is a feast. It's an expression of joy. And in God the Father's idea, He only throws a party for those who've been lost and are now found. Those who have seen the, the, the wreckage their own sins have done in their own lives and have returned to Him. And He runs to them. He embraces them. He gives them the ring, the best robe, the feast, and the fattest calf on the property. Today, he gives that to sinners such as yourself and myself because he loves you. And that is why right in the middle of the season of Lent, right in the middle of the most repentant and in many ways sorrowful seasons of the church year, we get a little breather. We get a little foretaste of what's going to come three weeks from today. 
we get a little foretaste of the victory that Christ came to bring, that Christ died for and rose again for, so that there would be a party that has no end in a new heavens and a new earth, and you have the invitation, and you will be there. How do you know? Because he forgave your sins today. He welcomed you back as a son, even though you didn't deserve it. He welcomed you back as his child, even though you didn't deserve it. The minute we forget that is the minute we lose it. So my encouragement to you is to get this parable right. Because in its context, it's preached at a bunch of scribes and Pharisees who were pretty sure they were just fine with God. Thank you very much. But they weren't in the party. The tax collectors were. The prostitutes. The biggest sinners in society. But God's own people, of course, are not. Wow. This part is for sinners. Not sinners who are proud of their sin, but sinners who confess it. This party is for you. This party is undeserved, but this party is love itself. Take a look. I mean, just, just run for Jesus. First miracle was at a party. And some of his appearances after his resurrection strike you as being a little party-like, feast-like. And of course, there's one more feast. We're all headed to it, isn't it? Best to be the sinners that we are. Not to sin, but not to deny. And to enjoy the greatest party of all. What's the moral of the story? Stated negatively, it's don't lock yourselves out of the park. Stated positively, enjoy it. It's totally undeserved. And it's totally for you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This podcast is a service of St. John's Lutheran Church in North Prairie, Wisconsin. For more information, including locations, service times, and links to other Lutheran agencies, please visit our website at www.stjohnsnp.org. That's www.stjohnsnp.org. Theme music performed by Mr. Philip Magnus.